Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome you guys. Howdy. Hello. We are back at it again with the white vans. Damn, Daniel. Who's back? It's happening. Back again. Uh, what, what are y'all drinking on this fine day? I made myself an AeroPress. And so it's kind of like a... I didn't make like a full cup AeroPress. I did a two-cupper with a leaf, so it's very concentrated. So it feels like I'm drinking espresso or like a... Cause, well, I mean, it's not quite that small. It's more like four ounces probably. Oh, interesting. Okay. But it's very strong. Um, So I'd say probably similar to like mocha pot strength sure um cortado size yeah exactly i'm drinking a blend of ethiopian and ugandan from our local coffee shop boon buna which does exclusively african coffees lovely and it's delicious and i'm also drinking a coffee tea once lovely speaking of african coffees dixie and i just went to evan yesterday here in billings and uh they had ethiopia arty on tap from revel roasting Ooh, delicious good lord Good Lord. Revel Roasting is the best. Uh, also happens to be the roaster for our very own Ravel blend. But yeah, we had the Ethiopian single origin yesterday. It hit the spot so good. Emily, what are you drinking? It's a mystery. And I say that because I found, no joke, I found this giant like V8 splash size bottle in the fridge here at the church. And it's... No. What I know of is that it's I'm going to say three different types of fruit juices with ginger ale. Emily, Emily. What? We need to, do we need to talk? Do we need to? No. Listen. But it's not yours. It's not mine. Amazing. And it wasn't like, it was a sealed beverage. This is like a homemade beverage in an unlabeled bottle. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, Emily, I have a lot of theological issues with snake handlers, and right now, you're taking as many risks as the snake handlers are. (laughs) That's so funny. It's delicious. It's so yummy. You can't trust that God will protect you from this. This is too dangerous. (laughs) I think you guys underestimate the people of my church. You don't know how old it is? Like... You're... It's not old. Okay. It's not. I would know if it was. All right. We'll see how you're feeling by the end of the episode. If you're just like high out of your mind because something's been fermenting <laughs> in that for long <laughs> enough, we're going to really enjoy this episode. I just know it. Um, awesome. Today, I am drinking a Yamabiko rice lager from the new Hakedo Brewing Company. I believe they're actually based out of Bozeman, Montana, of all places. Interesting. Is it like Japanese style brewing? It is. It's Japanese style. uh, Oh, fascinating. uh, Like, yeah, hops, rice, and barley. 
just a delicious pint of this stuff. This was that's cool. A gift it comes there was in a, pints. There was yeah, it absolutely does. There was a six pack of it at a, at my last D and D game, and there was one left over in the fridge. So I'm cracking it open right now. Very excited for it. Nice, yeah. delicious. Uh, well, before we get started, uh, Stephen is going to intro a voice memo that we have from a patron. But um, if you would like to submit your own audio review for us or our or a topic for us to ravel out a question for us to begin an episode with, you can call us at 601-55-RAVEL. That's 601-557-2835. Thank you to everyone who has left us a review in the past, but uh, we thought we'd try something new with the audio reviews. And if mm-hmm. you would like to be the first one to leave us an audio review, give us a call, leave us a message. Also to our patrons, if you missed the very first Also, if you're not a patron of us, uh, we're doing this fun thing where our good friend, Courtney Clark, who is a reverend and is currently churchless and has the yearning and calling to preach, we are giving her the space to have an event in our Discord and we are giving her sermon space. And if you missed that sermon that she gave, it is going to be on the bonus feed. So no worries if you missed it, you can still catch it. And those will also be coming... Every month for this foreseeable future on the second Sunday of the month. That's also offset by the last Saturday of every month. We have launched a Ravel book club inside the community where every quarter we're reading through a book together. So we'll have three meetings on the same book. Uh, This quarter we're going through Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And... Man, if that just isn't a life-giving book full of insight from the world of plants and indigenous wisdom and the relationship to the land that we've lost in our capitalistic society, I think you would just love it. So, of course, you can read that book on your own, but why not do it inside our Patreon, in our Discord, and engage a community as you do so? It would just be lovely to have you. All of that comes with your sign-up for Patreon. That is patreon.com slash Ravelpod. So get in there on that. But something that is not exclusive to patrons anymore is that you can submit a voice topic. Once a month, we like to launch an episode not based on the inner thoughts of the three of us. We like to take it from the community. So this one is coming from Sarah. And reminder, if you've never heard one of these before, Emily, Josh, and I have no idea what we're about to discuss. So let's let's get into it. Hey guys, this is Sarah from Houston. And um, in episode 113, we, y'all started to talk a little bit about um, preachers and if their sins are, you know, all sins are equal in that whole conversation. And I think we should talk more about that because I do think there is a standard for preachers. But what things, if any, qualify or disqualify someone from being a preacher? If no one is perfect and all have fallen short, then no one should be on a pedestal. Um, Is every believer a preacher in their own right? Um, And I think it's important to identify what is the main point of a preacher. Are they a mouthpiece, a figurehead, a servant, a leader, all of the above? And of course, each individual preacher has unique gifts that come through in their preaching style. I've been to some churches where Sunday morning has an amazing message with an amazing speaker. And I've been to others where Sunday mornings weren't that exciting. 
but the preacher was the first one to help out in a crisis and has an amazing heart for his congregants. There are absolutely amazing clergy out there who do amazing and necessary work, but so much of the modern church can be so preacher-focused that it almost gets to the point of a celebrity status. And I don't think that's healthy for the congregation or for the preacher. I know I've heard of churches that do a sort of volunteer-based system that share the pastoral load between several lay people, but I also don't have a problem with the preacher being paid to devote his or her life to the studying of the Bible and to doing the Lord's work. So I'd like to hear y'all's thoughts on all of this and kind of flesh it out a little bit, especially I bet Emily has a unique perspective here. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, you guys. <laughs> Fired up. <laughs> Fired up. Sorry. I am just, I am. <laughs> yes, Sarah. <laughs> Bomb question. Yes. All, yes to all of this. This is. Mm. I have so many thoughts and I need a bit of all together. So can someone else please start talking before I do or else it's going to be a hot mess. <laughs> well, reminder, if uh, anyone happens to be new to the pod and hasn't listened through the backlog or our first episode, um, I am a pastor's kid. And I will admit, I think that my feelings about preachers is I feel very nuanced about it because like, I totally am with Sarah on the like the American style version of preachers specifically like evangelicalism and usually more fundamentalist leaning recently i will admit not everyone's like that right um but i I think it's been very it's become very preacher focused and like near celebrity status in a lot of circles even if there's so many pastors out there who have the best of intentions i think that that's absolutely become the the stigma if you will for lack of a better word but i think it's very nuanced like to sarah's point like there are so many Pastors out there doing good work at usually smaller congregations, Emily's included. But like, I think the greater question here is like, why preachers? Because like, for me, at least in the last like three to four or five years, I've been very intrigued by the concept of a congregation and a community that is not centered around one person's teaching, regardless of whether that is a denominational church or not. And I think it's really fascinating to not just be centered around one person and listening to them for 20 minutes on a Sunday. Mm. And not that that's always bad either, but to me, it has a very different dialoguing feel to it. Yeah. You know, like a podcast who wants to create space for anyone in the community to like share a sermon or a song or something and run a discussion on it as we were just talking about. Wait, (laughs) what? No, that's so true. Pretty good. Josh, I think I really like the perspectives that you both bring to this. Obviously, Emily, your direct experience being a preacher and a pastor yourself, uh, a female at that. Ooh. A woman of the cloth. Yeah. But uh, Josh's story of being a pastor's kid, which if you want a lot more background on it, I'm sure we'll talk about it today. But uh, Josh was just recently on the Pastor's Kid podcast that you should go check out. Link in the show notes for you. My. Where I'm coming from in this discussion is I grew up going to a church where the same guy was my pastor for like 10 years. Um, and under him, like there was a youth pastor um, and I had two different youth pastors at that church. Uh, the first one I really bonded with the second one, in my opinion, and at that age, uh, I thought he was so bad at being a youth pastor that I quit youth group altogether for a year and a half. <laughs> and then 
after that, Dixie and I began going to a church that is really built on the the mega church, like multi-site campus model where we kind of caught the vision, as they say, for, well, this guy, this celebrity preacher guy, he's really good at speaking. Like he is good at bringing the word to modern application. Uh, he is good at providing context. He's charismatic. We weren't going to say it, but he was good looking and so was his family. And why don't we empower him to just do that and we'll let the campus pastors of the church be the guys who are like there for an emergency and like running the day-to-day of that campus. So like that's kind of where I'm coming from approaching this whole question. I don't go to that church anymore and I, I, I have a few opinions on that model. But overall, I feel conflicted about preachers, pastors, and if we're honest, sometimes podcasters too. Like I, I think to some degree we can relate, if not like completely uh, make a one-to-one comparison, but there's something about podcasting that feels similar to like the guy, the preacher getting up once a week and sharing ideas. Like that's oh, what no, we- I agree with you totally. I think the main connection there is audience. Like I think when yeah. a pastor model is built on audience rather than community, I think it's fundamentally different. Even if like two different pastors are functionally doing the same thing Sunday mornings, like giving a 20, 30 minute talk on the Bible, I think that there's there can be very different approaches to it. And like, mm. I think the same goes for podcasting too, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's something that feels authoritative about literally listening to someone. Yeah. I think that it's unfortunately too easy to accidentally trust someone mm-hmm. in a way that you nece- you didn't need to necessarily. Well, even um, just as I- a function of the form of like the expectation on a Sunday morning is that you don't interrupt the pastor yes. w- when you have a question or an issue and no one can interrupt us while we do this because no one's actually mm. like listening live. We're, we're, it's just yeah. the three, right? So like- <laughs> We can say whatever we want. It, it really is that <laughs> meme of the kids sitting next to the poster, just like laughing when the photo <laughs> is like three people laughing with each other. It's like, this yeah. is how it feels to listen to a podcast. And honestly, sometimes how it feels to like sit under a sermon giver at church too. Because the expectation is like, we're all here to face this way and he's going to stand up there and face the opposite way and talk to us with us, you know, which in the defense of Orthodox Christianity, I don't think I've mentioned it on the pod yet, but I went to my first Orthodox service for Christmas Eve, uh, which was cool. Very unique. Very cool. To be honest, I have no idea how to gauge if it was a unique service because I've never been to one before. So I don't know if it was like different for Christmas Eve or not. Unique to I'm you. guessing it is somehow. Was it a lot of standing? Oh, so much standing. Absolutely. There was a lot of going in and out of doors. Yeah. There was uh, some incensing around the room. It's kind there of was... what the Orthodox are famous for. Oh, man. It was a lot to keep track of. And honestly, I, I totally get the perspective now of like, it's designed to feel like you've had a religious experience. It's very cool, overwhelming. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, that, so that was cool. But like to, to the defense of them as the uh, upholders of what they claim to be original Christianity... They don't really practice the sermon giving in the same way that evangelical Christianity does. Mm-hmm. Like, even if someone gives a talk sometimes um, or a homily, like, it's just so fundamentally different from the American sermon. Mm. Emily, have you gathered your thoughts yet? Because I'm just dying. I'm dying to hear yeah. you um, yeah. preach about I, preachers. I, 
<laughs> I have mostly. I want to start with her first question about pastors and being oh, and sin at a higher standard. Yeah, and sin because I think that is fascinating, very fascinating because. For me, at least, coming from the, the United Methodist denomination, in the ordination process, and I can only speak from my understanding of the process, even though the United Methodist Church has universal standards, each conference has their own little spin on it. So from my process of ordination, there are vows that we basically take upon ourselves. And it's, you know, are you going to remain faithful in your marriage? And Celibate, if you're single, are you going to, you know, limit um, or be mindful of the level of alcohol that you consume and be cautious that you are like a public figure and to not make a mockery of yourself and like all these things, right? Like be faithful with your finances, be faithful in your community outreach and all these things. And yet it seems like the, I'm going to use air quotes here, sins that people most often like to weaponize against me specifically and other preacher friends of mine are those little tiny things of like, you have a tattoo and you're a woman and all these other things. Right. And so it depends on like, what are you meaning by sin? Because if that's the case, hell, I have really fallen short because I've got seven, eight tattoos uh, <laughs> and I drink and I'm a woman. So crazy that know, we could uh, we could hold you to such a high false standard uh, when we're like reinstating sexual predators after a few months of sabbatical. Right. But anyway, right. moving on. <laughs> no, exactly. So it's like, what are like, what do we mean by sin? And what do we mean when it comes to the pastor? Because exactly. We have male clergy who have done atrocities who have been literal predators and monsters that get reinstated to be at the pulpit. And it's like they get a clean slate, little slap on the wrist, you know, go in the corner, think about what you've done. Me? Heck no. There is complete double standards when it comes to women clergy and what we are supposed to uphold as public figures, as role models of the church, as leaders of the church. And it's not cool. It's not fair. Like, it pisses me off, frankly. However, I will say, I do think we need to hold pastors to a higher standard because of that power, because of the influence that they have on individuals, on fellow colleagues, on hierarchy when it comes to church, government, and politics. We need to hold clergy accountable and have them held to a higher standard because we have influence and power. Whether or not they want to see it that way, who cares? That's besides the point. You have power. You have people who come to you asking for assistance. You have people coming to you asking for pastoral care. You have people coming to you asking for biblical hermeneutics and breakdowns of passages, right? They're coming to you. Like you are the person who has all this control in your hands and you can shape this believer because they are trusting themselves to you, asking you for all this advice, asking you for all this help, right? That is huge. So the fact that we can directly impact how people act in the world simply by telling them if they're going to hell or not, like, are you kidding me? Yeah, dude. Oof. Yeah, are that's you, a good point. Are you kidding me? Of course we should have a higher standard. I have people who come into my office constantly wanting to know 
Are they saved? Are they redeemed? Are they loved? Are they going to hell? Do you know how easy it would be to want to play mind tricks on people and to say, well, I could get more people in my pews if I share this message or if I do this or if I act a certain way, right? It's all power. It's all power. Whether or not it's like, hello, Peter Parker, like with great power comes great responsibility. Okay. Like we are all Spider-Man in our own right. And we have so much responsibility for not just our congregation, but for literally every person outside of our church doors, because those are the people who have a really interesting perspective of Mm. pastors because they don't see us on a regular basis because they hear only from other people, right? It's all this giant game of telephone. And if they're hearing, you know, down the grapevine that I'm a shitty person and I do all these horrible things, well, then maybe I need to clean up my act and maybe I shouldn't be at the pulpit. But if they're hearing things like, oh yeah, you know, she's the new chaplain at the Cody Police Department and she's really involved with these other churches and their youth group. She's part of PFLAG and she's part of the Ministerial Association. Like she's doing all these great things for the community. You want to be the type of pastor that you would want, in my opinion. Like that's, I strive to be the pastor that I wanted as a kid because I didn't always get that. So yeah, put them on a higher stand, like put them to the test. Put them up against the wall and put pressure on them because too often pastors are idly getting by promoting life hindering theologies, diminishing people's value and hurting the church in more ways than one. And it's so easy to point the finger, but then not do anything about it. So how about you point the finger and bitch slap someone like for God's sakes, like it's so easy. Oh, okay. That's my rant on that topic. I like. I like your great power comes great responsibility quote for Spider-Man, though I do want to kind of explore the idea of like, in some ways, the Spider-Men are qualitatively different because they've been bitten by the radioactive spider and now have like abilities. Do you think, do you think that pastors necessarily like are different than lay people in some like qualitative way, not you're being bit by an insect that gives you extreme insight. Like you can all of a sudden you can translate every Greek word you've ever read perfectly. Right. It's not like a superpower, but I think some people think of pastors as kind of like the superhero of interpretation and delivering that message. Like as if they are the prophet communing with God, the, in the whisper on the mountain, you know? Sure. So, I mean, in that regard, yes, I will say John Wesley would say that everyone is a pastor, like the priesthood of all believers, right? Like we are all called to share in God's word and to dive deep into our faith and to be good stewards of creation and for the community and to love our neighbor. However, if I was to go up to some Joe Schmo on the street and ask a deep existential theological question, I would rather go to someone who has studied theology and has studied ancient languages and has studied church history. Because if I ask a Joe Schmo on the street, can you tell me about the Council of Nicaea? I'm kind of confused about that. And they were to be like, huh? Right? Like, <laughs> the, things do matter. Mm. But that's not to say that lay people don't have power, though, either. In the United Methodist Church, at least, I have the job that I have because of the people. Like, I get sent to a church 
by the bishop and by the cabinet, but the church ultimately gets to decide if I stay or go. And like, that is a very unique problem that's happened in, I think, especially Baptist circles and like non-denominational circles is like they started under the the idea of local governance, which like I think at the time made a whole lot of sense because of like limitations, technologies, distance, mm-hmm. etc. And I think on the small scale, there's a lot of pros to it. And on the large scale, there's a mm. whole hell of a lot of cons to it. And like, okay, a couple examples off the top of my head, which I think are really interesting case studies. Yeah. Both of these happened at Baptist churches. I know of one church where the pastor, it, it came out, not very publicly to my knowledge, um, but it, it was revealed that he had been looking at pornography. And there was no, as far as I'm aware, there was no like disciplinary action. Like it was not like a, like Matt Chandler's going to step down kind of thing. Like he was, he was the only pastor at this church. And to my knowledge, there was like a little bit of like private discretionary disciplinary mentorship, like with some men in the church, like we're going to, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think they like, like monitored his, his internet or anything. Like I know that some churches do do that for their pastors. Covenant eyes, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Covenant <laughs> eyes. I think it was a little bit more of like a, like a relation, relational disciplinary mentorship kind of situation. Mm-hmm. But so to my knowledge, he was never publicly shamed for it, never publicly disciplined or like leave of absence or anything and just continued pastoring hmm. unbeknownst to much of the congregation. And I have conflicting feelings about that because on one hand, purity culture has created such a culture of shame. And I would say it's contributed to the objectification of women and sex. So while I think, well, I agree with Emily that like, I think that like there needs to be high standards for people in leadership and especially like acknowledging the power that, many pastors have over congregants, even if it's implicit and not explicit. I think that I I still believe in like grace and forgiveness. And like me as an adult, I now have very different feelings about something like porn than what I used to. So like that feels like a very unique situation to me. And like, it, it doesn't, I don't know. But it comes back to this idea of like, what do you mean by sin? Absolutely. And I think for a lot of people that like, what feels like hypocrisy would be like if a pastor is going to preach a theology of like sexual purity and then turns around and watches pornography. Or is an adulteress, you know? Yeah, that feels hypocritical. And that feels like that deserves more. Yeah. I don't know. But if you're going to have a little bit more of a life-giving angle to it, what other job puts you on a leave of absence for watching porn? Schools? I don't know. If it's found out that you're... Okay. You know, like it... There are boundaries. Yeah, if it happens on property or something. Yeah, like there are yeah, boundaries that's a good point. for sure. So mm-hmm. that's a good point. That's, yeah, I didn't even think about that actually. Um, like where it happens. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. 
For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Other case example I have off the top of my head is a youth pastor who was, during a service, very publicly told that he was going to be stepping down from youth ministry in a very like vague posting, vague book kind of way. Like, this person has sinned and let us down, but we forgive him, and he's going to be stepping down as youth pastor for the foreseeable future. And it was like this very public thing, but also very vague and nondescript. And then you find out later through the rumor mill that maybe he was having an affair with a volunteer, but then it's like all unsubstantiated. And then you don't know exactly what's true and like what was completely necessary. But I think that example feels a lot more clear to me, the the power dynamics, like in a workplace, you would probably be fired or let go, or at least put on disciplinary action for an alleged affair with a coworker and or a subordinate. Like, mm-hmm. especially a subordinate. But I think what feels difficult in those situations is like, I think the power lines are not as clear to people. Like in a workplace, it feels very clear. Like you have bosses and you have employees. But like in a religious community, if you're not on staff at the church, you're not an employee, but the power dynamics are still there. Like just like you were saying, Emily. And, but mm-hmm. I think what makes it especially difficult is if a community is so like heavy handed with the grace and forgiveness angle. And then I th- I can see it like being used both ways. Like either you like sweep stuff under the rug and pretend like it never happened mm. in the air of forgiveness, or you don't actually practice forgiveness and you like let people go at the drop of a hat because you don't want any controversy. You don't want anything to tarnish the name of the, the church, the brand. I mean, there was a whole podcast about Mars Hill and like how complicated situations like that can mm-hmm. get. And I think it's really hard. Like, I, I recognize how challenging it is for people who want to devote their lives to ministry. And like, I was actually just thinking about that this last week. Like, sometimes I forget that like I dreamt about working at a church, even though I didn't mm-hmm. want to be a pastor. Yeah, I almost went like, to college I, to be a youth pastor. Totally. Yeah. Like, there's so many of us, right? Like, I think that like there's, there's so many people in it and out of it who like have felt that calling to be the feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think so often it's been portrayed as many pastors are like the hyper generalist. And that's kind of how the system has been built. Like you are a preacher of the word. You know how to do exegetical work. You are also the leader of Bible studies. You're a community organizer. Mm. You're the one who goes to hospitals. You're just like all around. Like Emily, honestly, you're a great example of that. Like you've just become a police chaplain. Like you are active in your community, both religious and Cody. And while I think it works, it can work for so many people and so many people can really be good at that and have that like <laughs> like that general manager mindset. Like you can just do everything mm-hmm. if you like put your mind to it. Um, and it's a real strength. Part of me wonders if the church would be better off community wise if some of those roles were more separated. Absolutely. Like what Like what if, <laughs> like not only for better work-life balance, like uh, we were just talking to uh, one of our current pastor friends and like how he just took a new 
associate pastorship. And it's like such a better fit for him. Like he actually has work-life balance once Mm -hmm. again. And like, you need that. Like if you're going to devote your life's work and career to something as important as religious community and do it fucking right, like you need work-life balance. So like, so part of me wonders, like would the church be better served as a whole if preachers were more like, if people who actually preached, I think that's interesting to like, talk about them as preachers <laughs> like it feels like kind of a southern thing <laughs> um like but would would it be better if people who were preaching were more like monk status like people mm. who are actually devoting their like full life's work to study and like meaning and philosophical thought and they weren't the community organizers but they were the people who called us to the things mm. sure careful you're gonna argue yourself into a mega church model Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that, I was on staff there. That's what it, it is like. Um, albeit, uh, it's less of a monk status and more of like a CEO that happens to also preach. But totally, uh, that is pretty much the model. Like the defense of it was, man, he clearly has a gift for public speaking. He's he's really good at it. We there's no denying that. So we're gonna let him do that. And our campus pastors, they're going to be the community organizers. They're going to run the day-to-day, you know, just like I said toward the beginning, like they were the ones kind of empowered to be the ones Mm -hmm. visiting at the hospital, like keeping things running. Like, and even then there, there was some delegation to staff like us who were more of like, you know, Dixie was the worship coordinator. So it was all about like the music and the Sunday morning thing. There was the like production team and there was children's team and like welcome team and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that really is kind of it sometimes. I think what makes it difficult too is like Emily's totally right. And Sarah's brought up some really good points too about like there being such a financial incentive, even if it doesn't seem like there is like that's currently how the church is built. Let's talk about that because I haven't stopped thinking about Paul's relationship to his preaching circuit. Uh, basically like supporting himself or like funding himself through tent making. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't even like, you know, I don't think we could quite frame it as like main hustle, side hustle. Like we like to talk about it in America right now, but Paul really took it upon himself to say, I don't want to be a burden to the church. Like I don't want the church of Ephesus to have to like pay me to be there or like fund my Mm -hmm. trip because that is, those are funds, those are resources that can be used within the community to aid that community and be like spread among the community. Like, I don't need to be the outsider who is a uh, a sinking fund for those kind of things that could be put to better purpose, you know? Right. And I, I truth, I really admire that. That is part of like the Apostle Paul's example of his ministry. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that, Emily? Like, how do you square that? Because you are a full-time, like, vocational pastor. And a mom and a wife who has a working spouse as well. Yeah. We have mouths to feed, right? Uh Uh-huh. I think, and I think this is an interesting angle, but if we are to have clergy, and I can only speak from a United Methodist lens, but if we are to have clergy, have effective clergy who have a lot of expectations placed on them as far as what a particular church is looking for in a pastor, then I will say 
it does help to ease some of the stress of a pastor's life to know that, hey, some of these things like we can take care of for you. We understand that circumstances are different. For example, if we were to go back to the beginning of Methodism in the United States, it was men who were single who could travel on horseback, could go to a town and they would be fed and housed and could shower and do all these things and do their job and then go to the next town. That's not the case anymore. We have more people who are women, who are clergy, who are also the head of household because their significant others may not work or may not be able to work, who also have children. So when a job is not financially able to sustain a family per se, because the pay is not, not saying I need six figures, but my pay is less because the fact that they do provide housing. They do have a pastor's discretionary fund that I use for implementing my ministries that I don't have to pay out of pocket for, right? Like there are things that churches, at least here, that I can speak to have created to say, we can help ease this burden for you so that you can do your job effectively. Mm -hmm. That's not the case for all churches, though. And I understand that entirely. Will the next church that I serve at, you know, have the same things? Who knows? Like maybe they'll provide a housing allowance if that's the case or versus like a full on parsonage rather than a full on parsonage. Right. So it's like every church is different. And my family and I, we have to be flexible with that. And my husband knew that, you know, long before we got married, he knew what I wanted to do. He knew what itinerancy meant. And he understood that our lives were going to be very different, you know, from the time I was going to be serving at a pulpit. So I think. I like Paul's idea. However, in America, in Cody, Wyoming, I can say that model is a little hard to implement. Mm. Not impossible, but difficult. Yeah. If I was single, if I didn't have Thea, absolutely would not be a problem. But that's not the case. Like pastors are not just these perfectly cookie cutter people that like don't have lives. We do. We have lives. We have mm. struggles. We have our problems and we have burdens that we all carry. And so like if we are to show grace and compassion to say, hey, this is a big job, like we're going to kind of help you out. It's like with any other really big, important, like I'm thinking doctors and hospitals, right? To say like, hey, we have malpractice insurance. Like we got you covered. Like it's okay. Mm. If we were just to tell every doctor you're on your own. You got to cover it yourself. Fuck you. Like you're just here to do a job. (laughs) We wouldn't have doctors, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, the same with, it's the same with pastors, unfortunately, to be like, hey, you're on your own. If you figure it out, you just do your job. We don't care. Yeah. Have fun. It would not go well. I really appreciate your nuance there. I think like my idealism for Paul the tent maker, again, having been close to and close inside that like mega church model is like, it's really easy to both play a comparison game like as individual to individual of like man it seems like he makes too much money on this you know like there's a way to look mm-hmm. at it of like i hate to admit it but there there have been elements to my like observing that of like almost jealousy like damn mm-hmm. he did that like i i look at some bigger podcasters and i'm like they made that their career that's awesome i want to do that like so on that side of things, like I, I can absolutely see there's an element of like a fully vocational pastor is 
doing what they feel called to and doing what they love, if we're honest, because like pastoring is not a walk in the park. It is not an easy job. And like, I think Emily, I wouldn't be that far off base to say like, if you're in pastoring for the money, there's better games to play. Oh, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah, I, I like your uh, your little correction there because again, I think my idealism for Paul and his tent making is you know like we've seen how corrupting money can be and mm-hmm. how that money being the incentive can really change someone's approach to their preaching and to their pastoring. Yeah, uh, because I also really love Sarah's point about some pastors are tremendous preachers. And some, if we're honest, are kind of mediocre, but they're the ones mm-hmm. who are going to show up at 2 a.m. Uh, to comfort someone who's going through emergency surgery, you know? Yeah. Like, there is an angle to the ministry that I really admire from that side of things. Which is why I, this is a shout out to my my bishop and my cabinet. Like, I know some of y'all listen. This is why I love Whoa, being welcome. a part of the denomination that I'm in, because the cabinet and the bishop work together to say we have you know we have 368 churches here in our conference and here is what this particular church in Ogden Utah is looking for in a pastor who has those skills like who fits that missing piece of the puzzle they don't want just to send someone to say go fill the pulpit mm. go do that cuz if that was the case then they would truly welcome like Anyone off the street who said they had an MDiv and be like, cool, you you check all these boxes. Fantastic. They don't do that. That's not what it's about. It's to say, here are the needs that need to be met. Can you meet these needs? If they say, we are looking for someone who is family oriented and is really good when it comes to community organizing and community outreach, and they find someone who says, hey, I have three kids. I love helping out with youth group. And I have done all these community events and I love to participate in community organizing. Guess where that person's going to go? That church in Ogden, Utah. <laughs> like mm, they mm-hmm. are so discernful. And so like for me, being a part of that process to say, Emily, what skills do you bring? It wasn't a chance for me to just brag about how cool I am because I have a lot of shaping up to do. I'm still young in my ministry and I know I have areas of weakness and areas of growth. But when I can say, like, I am a fantastic preacher, I can get up and I can preach in a specific amount of time and I can get the message across and I'm very intentional with eye contact, right? And I share the things that I have a skill in, then churches are looking for that person. And so when my bishop calls and says, hey, we have a church here in Cody who wants to grow their youth and family ministry and is looking for someone who can be a little bit more of a dynamic preacher. I'm like, hey, cool. I am so passionate about youth. I do camps. I do youth groups. I do all these events. I would love to see if this church would welcome me at the pulpit, if they would allow me to be their pastor. So every pastor is different. Every church is different. We can't be cookie cutter churches and then not expect a cookie cutter pastor. Like if we're all so different, we need to respect all the differences that pastors come in every shape and size. And we can't rank pastors either because the fact there are so many different needs, so many different skills and assets that pastors can bring that 
are needed that lay people are also capable of doing. Like that's the other side of it is like, we want a pastor that does all these things. Cool. Is that pastor going to motivate their congregation to do those things as well? Because like, if you are expecting me to just come and by myself, grow a youth group and a family ministry, you are sadly mistaken. Please Mm -hmm. find another pastor. It is not solely my job. Uh. It is our job. Like I am here to guide and maybe implement ideas and to facilitate and help with that. Uh But it is not solely on me. So if you were a superhero, you are the Batman trying to raise the people of Gotham up to action. Yeah. To not just be Superman. Yeah. Interesting. I really like that. That's good. Thank you. Josh, you've been quiet for a bit. Welcome okay. welcome back, buddy. Thank you. Um, I just, <laughs> I keep thinking about Sarah's question about like, basically, how could we even improve the system for when pastors will fuck up? Because mm, they will yeah. always because we're human. And like, that's the whole, kind of, that's the whole point of the gospel is like, if you're going to preach about being totally depraved, like what, what are you going to do mm. when like it comes to light that someone's totally depraved? Oh, it's going to be yes. like, oh, shocker. What? <laughs> Yeah, preach, totally. Josh, and like, well, I don't think we should sweep things under the rug. And I think that there should be mechanisms in place that like, A, protect the congregants overall, um, whether it's from physical abuse, financial abuse, psychological abuse, what have you, whether that means malpractice insurance. That's a great point about doctors, Emily. Um, I can't believe I've never thought about that for pastors. But also like, that shouldn't even be like, I agree that that shouldn't even be the reality that that's needed. But like... <laughs> It's clear across churches that like there's just problems. And like I think that the same thing is true of churches as it is of companies that like no one's going to be perfect, like no organization is going to be without fault and like you kind of just have to figure out how to deal with it in your own way and also like we need to have these larger conversations about like structurally how to change things and move forward. But like I was just thinking about the Matt Chandler situation and in some ways I can respect the strategy of like we have a large enough church that like we can allow someone to step down and we can figure out what the frick is going on and like determine like what needs to happen and at the same time like we have there's such structure in place where like someone can step in in the interim and move forward with like the the mm-hmm. function that the pastors are serving in that community um whether it's community organizing or preaching or teaching whatever not to say that that's perfect by any means but Man, that's a whole hell of a lot better protection than some other churches have. That just completely mm-hmm. collapse because it was all all centered around the one person. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not trying to say that like that situation was handled perfectly. Um, I think there's a lot of things going on there, but like again, I think that's better than like nothing. <laughs> like I feel like that should be bare minimum in some ways. Like, mm. and it just like I think I keep coming back to there's just so much risk and room for bad outcomes when a community is literally centered around one person in the room. Mm -hmm. And like, I would just love to see a new model of church that is truly community led, community involved, community centered. And like, I think that some churches are moving that way. Like, I think it happens in small ways. I think it happens in the physical design and also the organizational design of Mm -hmm. how the community experiences church. I think it happens in small ways like moving from sermons to homilies or homilies to shared homilies or even just like changing the entire 
way that a service operates to like not even looking the same as a service anymore. Like it's more discussion based or like whatever. I want to see this modeled outside the church as well, though. Ooh, what do you mean? Classrooms. Sure. Colleges. Podcasts. Podcasts, right? So it's like if we want that type of thing for churches and for pastors, I think we need to have the same standard or (laughs) change of of shifting dynamics for other elements of life as well, because Mm. it can be easy just to want to point the finger at the church and say, you're doing this wrong and you're too focused on the pastor, but for how long? And I, and I know that this is changing in classrooms, but like how long have we had classrooms where all the desks were facing the teacher? Yep. Learning styles are different. Like we, we now have the deeper understanding of learning styles and environment, right? So we can't just put churches on this little, Yes. I want to say on the stand. Like we can't just put churches up on the stand and convict and be jury and judge and executioner. Like we have to do that for all elements of life because if the church is going to be setting the standard and we're wanting churches to do that, we want that to have a ripple effect in other areas of life as well. If it is to be truly life-giving. Yes. Yeah, I think the church should not be centered around learning anymore. Ooh. Right. <laughs> I like that. You can learn outside the church. <laughs> Emily, how often do you think about the wonderful like pod desk setup that Mr. Scott had in AP English? Oh, yes. Wasn't that I wonderful? I loved it. Uh, it was also distracting at times, but it was depending on who you were sitting with. But I really did like that a lot. It was so cool because it like you could see fellow students in front of you. Like you and I sat always sat opposite each other in first period. And we were always sitting with Charlotte and Carissa and mm-hmm. Colin. And it really was like a different way, like even against over and against like our honors civics class of like, we're all looking this one way, like, yes, we're still in discussion, but there was something about that English class. Like I felt so much more engaged Mm -hmm. in the books when I could like make eye contact with fellow students and not just be like looking up toward his, uh, his whiteboard, you know, and he had like couches in there and like. I don't know, the vibe of Mr. Scott's style, like I always admired and I remember it to this day, 10 years after high school. Yeah. So good. Yeah. We need to model that in church and in other areas of life. If we're wanting to have church be held to a higher standard, I absolutely, but let's see that standard then be reflected in other elements of our life because- we're not going to just put the church on a pedestal here. Like, no, sir. Wow. Same with pastors. Wonderful. This was fantastic. I feel like we could have so much more conversation. And so I'm already bookmarking. This is going to be a continuation in my topic next time. Continued so, topics. Look at that. We'll stay tuned. Yeah. It's almost like we should just keep podcasting, keep talking about these things. Yeah. Keep this discussion Oh my gosh. Going. What a brilliant idea. Crazy. It's the only way forward. <laughs> only way. Delightful. Delightful. Sarah, thank you so much for your question. Uh, If you have been listening to this episode and you're here at the end, thank you for tuning into our discussion. We would love to hear your thoughts, your voice, your opinions, because really what is podcasting but sharing opinions and saying words. Um, That's what the three of us do very regularly and we've found it very life-giving. If you would like to even be featured on our show, you could send us a voicemail to prompt a question like this 
or even just provide supplemental information or an opinion that we'll start playing at the end of episodes. Uh, just being clear in what you're responding to audio reviews of the show. We'd love that. All of that can be done by calling our number at 601-55-RAVEL, uh, which is 601-557-2835. All of that is in the show notes as well. Or you can send us a voice memo at theravelpod at gmail.com. Emily, Miss Preacher. Steven. Mrs. Preacher <laughs> of the group. That's, that's reverend to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, hey, I worked hard for that title. Would so. you? Would you? Well, yeah. Reverend isn't a verb, though. I was going to ask you to preach for us for the closing, but uh, anyway. Well, what I'm going to do is (laughs) instead share light on others in our community who are doing the same work and highlight the fact that we are all pastors in our own right. We are all shepherding. We are all teaching. We are all preaching. We are all community organizers we are all engaging and biblical scholars and so keep doing what you're doing and for those who are pastors for those who are religious leaders youth pastors music ministers uh, christian educators thank you thank you for all the ways that you serve and love and share your gifts to the world um and as a highlight october is pastor appreciation month so mark your calendars mark your calendar send me a card send me a drink okay <laughs> show me a little love because i love you all so much uh, but just show love to your pastors show love and keep doing what you're doing because it's it's needed in whatever capacity it's needed <laughs>